All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking not to you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. Welcome back to Worthy. My name is John. And I'm Ben. And today we are honoring the year of 2023 by reviewing and kind of analyzing our top 10 films of the year. Some of these will also have a little minor categories for fun that we've kind of thrown in that we're going to mess around to to kind of talk more about other films that may not make our top 10 list. But Ben, I want to know first, before we go into some of these minor rankings, I want to know about your overall thoughts of the year of 2023 and films. Yeah, so I kind of feel very sour about 2023 and movies right now because of the strikes that did happen. It happened at such a like just bad time, especially because there was such a high with the uh, Barbenheimer uh, event and, fia- and not fiasco, momentum behind that. Um, and it felt like, yeah, movies are back. Like People were like, really going to theaters. People really love it. And then the strike happened, and then there was just this like dead time that felt like, it was it was capitalized by Barbie and Oppenheimer. Like fortunately, like, those movies were so popular that they stayed in movie theaters and they kept people coming. For some of the other movies that were kind of trickling out, but then it pushed back. I think some movies that people really could have been hyped for. I think like we really missed out on this big like Dune two uh, release and like the momentum that could have had for again like big movies. I feel like that really would have been a good contender against Oppenheimer in terms of popularity and like big movies like you know something that like it's more than just um a fran think of it as a franchise movie it's, it's about like here are these big time directors making these crazy visual movies these epic stories that people are going to really get into so we kind of like missed out on that and then so this is like dead time for like half of the year and it left kind of like but ultimately like when you look at the slate of 2023 in movies it doesn't feel as strong as it was like last year, especially coming off of last year where everything ever all at once, like again, caused its own big storm and hype and, and wave. And so it just, we don't get, I just don't think we have this momentum that's carrying us into next year, into the next Oscars. That makes me excited. It makes you just feel like, Oh, we missed out on so much. Yeah. I don't think there's that like massive movie this fall that everyone's talking about, especially in theaters, whether it's like a massive movie I think when you look at this year's fall season of releases, it's basically all Warner Brothers and then a mixture of A24 and and smaller foreign releases as well. So it's interesting because we had Warner Brothers coming in this Christmas and being like the only big studio who releases three films with the color purple Wonka, both being musicals. And then you have Aquaman, which everyone has kind of like lost complete interest in that franchise as a whole. So, I mean, coming off of, like, a previous billion-dollar film and then coming into this current Aquaman, it's like, what happened over the past four years? And that's a whole separate story as well. But Warner Brothers has tried to separate themselves amongst all the other competition because there really is no competition. There's no big Disney film that's releasing this year for Christmas. There's no Star Wars or big franchise film that they're trying to push. So it does kind of feel empty. And then when you look at the awards side of things... Both of both like the massive award season that you would kind of expect around the time now is not really there. I feel like half the films are either they're foreign films like Anatomy of a Fall or Zone of Interest, which are either hard to see where you live if you live in the suburbs like I do now, or you're just seeing films on Netflix like May, December, Maestro from Bradley Cooper. 
And then there's the occasional films that are like still left in theaters, like the holdovers. Um, but a lot of films that are maybe in our top 10 may have come out previously or come out in this summer that you might have noticed. And I think it was important to kind of talk about Barbenheimer like we did in our summer recap episode, which you can kind of check out on Worthy. But that was such a funny time because it was like the peak of film going this year, yet it's right when the strike happened. I don't know if people remember, but the cast of Oppenheimer left the uh, red carpet for the opening premiere of that film to go on strike. So it was truly the beginning and end kind of of the year, and we've seen the after effects. And, And luckily... I think in hindsight, this year could have been even worse if the strike went on for even a week or two longer. I think we would have lost out on every one of these Warner Brothers movies. So think of a 2023 where there is no... I haven't seen The Color Purple yet. I've heard it's really good. But I've seen Wonka, and that was a great end-of-the-year family film. It was such a fun musical. And Aquaman 2, I thought was a blast. I had a really fun time. So imagine this end-of-the-year season without any three of those Warner Brothers films. It would have been really depressing it would have been like a couple small films in theaters and then whatever we get from kind of like the foreign films that are kind of the oscar big winners but a lot of those don't again come out until january for a lot of the american audiences so i try to look at it hopeful i'm kind of more worried about 2024 which we'll get to and talk a little bit about but i want to jump in and talk a little bit about some of these minor kind of categories that we've made and I want to start off by talking franchise filmmaking (laughs) which is not something we talk about very often here on Worthy because most of the time Oscar winners are not franchise franchise films that is so I want to give a little shout out to our favorite franchise film of 2023 Ben which film is that for you so I went with uh, Saw X uh, for this one Um, there was it, you know, for me, like, I love the Saw movies. This one had this, like, different feel to it. It was, like, kind of this hopeful movie that it starts out as. And you're like, oh, this is, it, does this have emotion? Does Saw have heart to it that you, like, I'm, I'm caring <laughs> about, you know, this character? And then, bam, it turns right back into a classic Saw movie. It has, like, really good twists. And I just enjoyed it. I enjoy the movies. Like, I'm not saying this is, like, the best movie I've ever seen. Um, the movie that I, you're going to talk about, I didn't get to see yet um, because of life. And I'm sure I probably would have picked that one as the winner and, and because it's getting such great reviews. But for me, Saw X, loved it, had a great time. No issues for me at all with anything. And I think for a franchise movie, that's the bar you have to reach is I have no issues with it. It was just a fun little installment into the franchise. And especially an installment to the franchise that I think is so different, being the 10th one. It's something that kind of changes what you expect from the franchise, which is really interesting. And it's a prequel. It's the 10th one. And there's already been prequels. So it's like how Saw X is as good as it is, is like a goddamn miracle, honestly. And it should be. I'm so glad you put that there because it should be spoken about, about how impressive it is. Not even as a franchise film, but even as like a sequel. It's pretty damn impressive that it can give you exactly what you want from this kind of franchise but also tell a kind of compelling story which they haven't done i don't think in maybe like seven (laughs) saw films well the whole entire story of saw is compelling john (laughs) (laughs) my favorite franchise film of 2023 is godzilla minus one i was lucky enough to see this recently in imax and it was a hell of an experience i don't think i'm as full fully blown obsessed with this movie like some people are 
but I don't think it's a I don't think it's like crazy to say that this is the best story in any Godzilla film that I've personally ever seen. I haven't seen all of them, maybe ten or twelve of uh, the Godzilla films I've seen. Definitely seen all the American remakes that uh, Lionsgate is doing. But I just really loved the story in this movie. I thought it was extremely melodramatic in a way that I think I rub against when it comes to anime and kind of some Japanese filmmaking. But I really loved the way that they handled this story about kind of this... I don't want to spoil it because you haven't seen it. And I think you would really like this movie. But you have this character who's very conflicted in a way that you wouldn't expect from a Godzilla film. You know, usually you either have, like, the scientist, the villain who wants to control Godzilla, and then you have, like, the innocent bystander who's just trying to, like, kind of protect Godzilla. And I think this movie does those formulas in a very different way that is honestly extremely personable that I didn't think you could even do in a Godzilla movie, so... I don't think the special effects are as mind-bending and amazing as people say. I, I do think they are incredible for what people say is a $15 million film. And I definitely think that should be honored and, and respected. And I think that is because a lot of Americans are going out. It was the number one movie, I think, like two week, two weekends in a row, which is very impressive. So definitely go out and see Godzilla Minus One if you haven't and see it on streaming if you can't get a chance to see it in theaters. All right, let's move on to the best film concept or idea of 2023. So basically the idea for this category is maybe this film hit for you. Maybe it was just the concept or the idea that you loved and maybe the film didn't execute in the way that you would like. But either one, Ben, what was your favorite film concept or idea of 2023? So I uh, always love to kind of like have fun sometimes with, uh, you know, these categories and sometimes the way of thinking and approaching it. And I chose a movie that so many people were like, what the fuck did I just watch? Including myself. I really was like, what <laughs> did I just watch? Uh, and that was Bo is Afraid. I love uh, Ari Aster. I think he's just a phenomenal director. I think um, Joaquin Phoenix is an incredible actor. Every actor in that movie was incredible. That movie was three hours of pure, what am I watching? And I think like <laughs> irreverent filmmaking can be very can deter, especially me. Like can, can deter an audience, and you're like, what? Like, why did I need to watch that? Like, what does this mean? It, you know, it gets more into like the art form of filmmaking. And this movie, I don't like. It got into some really crazy visuals, really crazy moments that you're that like you're like, okay, is like this movie about life? Is this about like finding yourself? Is this about you know just men and what they have to go through and it's just like i don't know i really don't know and i think that that's like kind of the fun of it and like when you do have to wonder like what am i watching what does this mean the ending like what like what does it all lead up to sometimes just like you know a lot of what film is is about life and putting it in absurd ways these fantastical ways that are personal to the director and the people making the film is interesting to me to kind of like figure out and and pull out of it so i really enjoyed that three hours of what is going on and like seeing different actors pop up i again don't know what the idea and the concept is you know aster said that it was the jewish lord of the rings and i guess i would have to agree it was the jewish <laughs> lord of the rings <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad you could put that on there because it will not be on my <laughs> top 10 and it will not be brought up at all unless I had a category for like most uncomfortable experience in the theater or worst experience in the theater of the year. <laughs> no, it no. wasn't that bad. I mean, I loved Ari Aster's previous film, so I was I just had such high expectations for this film. And I think just... a lot of people did. A lot of people thought they're like, because especially because Joaquin Phoenix is coming well, he's like what two year, two three years removed from his Oscar, so it's still like riding that wave of like how yeah. good he is. Like I think this was like the next movie that he was filming after he won the Oscar, so people were like hyped up for it. And then what they got, they're like, "What? What are we doing?" <laughs> I think it's just his previous films. You know, I've seen like even some of his short films that he made, and while they're very out there and odd in terms of maybe the kind of story he's telling in terms of being like a horror film with these people that are in this kind of cult-like community or this other kind of cult-like community devil worshipers whatever you want to kind of describe hereditary (laughs) as so they just are straightforward but they have these you know kind of mystically mysterious elements to them And, and it's like the plot itself is straightforward but when you came to this film it's like he didn't want to follow a straightforward plot at all it's like he it it seemed like it bothered him to kind of make a story that was just straightforward and he had to like go so many different zigzaggy angles that by the end of it i was like i am so over (laughs) this movie but anyway that's that's not my favorite film concept or idea that was almost my biggest disappointment (laughs) of the year but my favorite concept uh or idea of this year was dream scenario and Dream Scenario is this wacky, crazy film starring Nicolas Cage, and it's about a man who's just appearing in people's dreams. And I love this concept because it was something I've never really thought of. I've never really seen this in a film. I've seen other people mention that it may be kind of references to a couple other books or films that have existed previously. But I just really thought this idea was just so genius. I love this idea of, and especially casting Nick Cage, who is this actor that everyone loves and we've been so accustomed to and familiar with. I just, unfortunately, the film didn't deliver on that idea. I think it it builds up and then the rest of the film kind of didn't know where to go and it didn't know how to stay in that level of heightened kind of reality that they kind of presented. But I love the idea. I thought Dream Scenario was still, I had a good time watching it and it it went some funny, kooky ways. But I thought by the end of it, it could have been a much more impactful and powerful film. But a really damn cool idea. Alrighty, let's go over and talk about something we really never <laughs> talk about on Worthy, and that is the best TV show of 2023. Yeah, so, you know, we yeah we don't really talk about TV. I have, uh, as, with my job and what I do, it's really hard to watch TV shows and watch new movies. Like, there's just a lot going on um, because I have to watch other things because I work in sports. So, and, there's, you know... I, I love it. I love watching it. it. It definitely takes me out of movies. It gives me like a different just like avenue to let my mind just like kind of melt <laughs> for a second. Um, so there wasn't really like any new shows that like really caught my attention, like new to 2023. But can't, you know, I love the NFL soap opera. I love just like the crazy and wackiness. It is just like male dominated drama. So it's just fun. Uh, I just want to give that a shout out. Don't need to get into the NFL and what I think about everything that's going on, including John's Eagles, who just aren't good anymore. 
Uh, but I digress. Oh. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's not something we talk about that often on the podcast, but I think since you're such a analytical person, I mean, sports have always been such a yeah. passion for you. It's just, you can't really balance all three of those things. I'm honestly surprised of how many movies you can watch while also watching not only your, you know, select team with the Broncos yeah. and the NFL, but you watch a lot of other games that are not, when, you know, yeah. against your team. So you really do spend a lot of time watching the NFL in general, probably over most sports. And it's impressive. You can't really like fit in much TV shows. I think with, with uh, Jackie, my fiance, and I, like we don't watch many movies together unless it's in theaters. But then when we do watch, a lot of is TV shows. So that may be something that we don't even talk about ever really yeah. unworthy because it'll be like trash reality TV shows, or it'll be maybe some really iconic, amazing shows of this year, which is like The Last of yeah. Us and Succession, which we finally caught up and yeah, watched and it, all and of. Which uh, what what I was gonna yeah. say was like you know this category is like 2023, so there's nothing like new that's coming out to catch my attention. But like I've been able to watch, you know, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, catching up on that. I love that show. Uh, Welcome to Wrexham. You know, sports related. I love that, like the concept of that and the the real life you know aspects of it. So I don't know if you've watched Welcome to Wrexham yet or know much about it. Um, no, I know like generally the concept of what they're doing with the team, which is really cool. I don't know if I care that much about soccer enough to watch, but I've also seen people say you don't. I think to care you would. Yeah, I think you would like how it's told because it's like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are writing a story and you're reading it through like their eyes. That yeah, sounds it's cool. really cool. That sounds like a unique way of making a reality yeah. show. But really what I would say is my favorite show of 2023 is also, I guess you would say a reality show. And what's so magical and special about this is that it's a mixture between reality and fiction. And that's what I thought was so amazing about jury duty on, I think it was originally like a freebie show. And because I forget it's on Amazon prime, basically, I don't know if that's a deal or they own freebie. I think Amazon might own freebie if I remember correctly. But Jury Duty is this insane show where everyone is an actor except for one person, and they all are going through jury jury duty, and the one person doesn't know that everyone else is there who's been hired to show that show up there and play a character. So even the judge, the whole case, it's completely fabricated, but one person doesn't know that, and it just keeps going and going, and you would think that this wouldn't be able to kind of succeed over 10 or so episodes, but the way they keep elevating and putting this guy into crazy crazy situations and the fact that he doesn't understand yet what is happening it it made such magic in only television and only specifically that reality television can do and it just combined reality with performances and fiction in a way that I've really never seen done in a lot of television at all and I thought that was just done so well and it's also just hysterical it is so funny you you should definitely watch Jerry Duty Ben I think you would love I watched like the first two episodes of it and I was I liked it, but again, timing. It's really hard to watch so many different. There's just so much out there, like right now. That's like the problem of watching new shows, new movies, just new everything at this time. Yeah, and there's so much currently coming out in 2023. But let me throw even a harder curveball at you and ask, what is your favorite film that is not released in 2023, and that is not one of our Best Picture winners or even nomination nominees that we've kind of talked about in our main worthy episodes so ben what is your best non-2023 film 
yeah, this took a lot of like thinking and time because if I'm not watching a movie that won Best Picture had to do with that year, I'm watching new movies there in the theaters. But then I remembered I watched a movie which we will mention, I guess, in passing when we get to that year, but it didn't win Best Picture, uh, and that was L.A. Confidential. I don't know if you ever seen L.A. Confidential, John, but that movie was yeah. what it's gory. It was so it, that was like the movie <laughs> that I remember growing up like and as a kid watching shows and people talking about how violent movies were, and I guess like. I grew up with it, so I never realized how violent it was. But then I watched that movie, and I think it's from 97. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is the movie people were probably talking about. Or, like, movies like that that are like, yeah, movies are way too gory for people to watch. Like, that was excessive. Some of the <laughs> gore and the blood that's in it. But it's such a great, you know, fun mystery, you know, noir but also, you know, it's modern time. Like, it was made in modern times, but it's a throwback kind of film. So, so many different twists and turns. I really enjoyed it and great actors all around. So, LA Confidential, that was not a movie that I expected to love as much as I did this year. Yeah, what a, like, who's who of that cast as well, too. Yeah. You have, like, mega stars that are even so famous at the time. And then you have so many character actors. And then you have actors in that film that like aren't even there yet you know they're just starting their career out that you're like whoa look how young they are yeah that is one of those movies that you could just like watch purely based on the amazing actors that are in it i went with a crazy pick here and what i found so interesting about this is i track all my films on letterbox that i watch in theaters out of theaters everything that i watch in a year basically i track and this was the only film that I'd given five stars. There's, there was The Apartment, which, again, we're not including Best Picture winners, that I gave five stars just because I love, love that movie. said it was a perfect film. Go check out that episode of Worthy. But the only film that I watched that was new to me that I've never seen yet was In Bruges. And I loved this movie i don't know why it's taking me so long to watch this i think i have tried to watch this movie maybe like two or three times and it's just one of those movies that i like throw on and it's late at night and i just like fall asleep and gosh i am just angry at myself that i haven't watched this i feel like when i if i was a kid like in high school this would have been like my favorite movie ever it's so like immature and in, in your face and and brass i just really loved it it was such a fun time Colin Firth is just the man. And after seeing um, Banshees of Inner Sheeran and seeing these two men come together and, and like 20 years prior to Banshees and seeing just how great of chemistry they had previously, man, what a wonderful movie that is just – you wouldn't be able to make this movie today. You know, it's so offensive and in your face and some of the dialogue and the things the characters say are just so out there. That I had to give it to it. I had to appreciate just the lunacy that is in Bruges. All right, Ben. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people on YouTube, a lot of these creators always want to talk about the worst films of the year. They'll even do their top 10 worst films of the year. I don't want to go that far. I think we kind of don't want to talk so much negativity about movies and, and kind of shit on them because it does take an army to make a movie and there's a lot of hardworking people that kind of go behind the scenes and, and a lot of the aspects that you don't really see when it comes to filmmaking but we had to at least talk about our disappointments maybe films that we had expectations for maybe films that we just thought was a great idea and concept and they just failed to us 
But Ben, I want to know what your biggest film disappointment of 2023 is. All right, I don't want you to, you know, let's keep it civil right <laughs> now because I, I know this could really stir the pot. Um, talk to me. I did not like that movie. It was very hyped up. Um, so going into it, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to really enjoy this movie. Uh, everyone's, you know, saying it's a different kind of horror movie and, you know, it, and it, it's like takes these like kind of like, you know, leaps. And I watched it. I did not enjoy really any of it. I thought the main character was a pretty shitty person. And it felt like that I was supposed to really care about her and like really care about like these, these like emotional relationships. And to me, it was just so it, it just wasn't there for me. So it pulled me out of the movie enough. And, and I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't think it was like that scary. I didn't think it was like anything crazy. I thought there. I thought there, you know, there have been better movies than that in terms of horror and what has come out in recent years. So I was really disappointed uh, with seeing that and knowing everyone's reactions and what people thought about it. But it was just not for me. Um, so I know you feel differently. Uh, but why don't we get into your uh, biggest film disappointment uh, of the year? Yes, I certainly feel differently. You'll hear more about Talk to Me later on in this episode. And I can defend it a little bit more and say the complete opposite things of what Ben is saying. <laughs> My biggest film disappointment, though, was a huge franchise film, a film that was supposed to kick off Disney's year, and I think it was quite telling that this would be Disney's biggest uh, or worst financial year, I think, ever, if I'm remembering correctly, in terms of film finances and and money earned from the box office. Ant-Man Quantumania. So we have the third Ant-Man film here. The MCU is trying to shift and create this new big bad in Kang. And as you probably know now with all the news stories, Kang may be no more. But Ant-Man Quantumanium was a thing. Uh, No one really wants to talk about that movie anymore. It was supposed to be this massive, you know, new kind of pivoting point for the franchise to build up this new villain. And I... I don't think it's that crazy to say that this is probably the worst movie that was released last year. And I know I was just talking about I don't want to shit on movies so much, but I want to talk about a movie that spent so much time and money and delivered something that was so almost like offensive, honestly, to, to fans and to the people that have followed this franchise for so long. Just the level of bad CGI throughout this movie, just the bad storytelling, some of the bad performances in this movie, I truly think we'll look back at this movie and and <laughs> say that this is really where it all started to fall apart, where the wheels truly fell off the train. I think you could point to TV shows that the Marvel Universe has made and say, well, that's the reason people don't want to watch everything and it's too much. Sure, I think you just don't have to watch those if you don't want to. I, I don't think they tie into the actual TV versus the connection to the movies as much as people say they do. But when you get to a big tentpole movie, you want to be, you know, shown something big. You want to think of Civil War. You want to think of these major moments like Ragnarok where it really made you love these characters even more. And all Ant-Man Quantum Media did was make me hate Ant-Man as a character, make me question why this movie even exists, make me hate our main villain that we're supposed to be building up with. And just infuriate me, you know. I'm usually the person who will can go and watch a film, even like the Marvels, if we want to compare like another MCU movie. I can go watch a film and be like, okay, like that wasn't the best, but you know, I enjoyed this action scene, these people had good chemistry. 
I left Quantumania just so deflated and disappointed that I, there was like barely any positives that I could even say about that movie. And still now, almost a year later, I can barely think of a single positive in that film. And the only thing I can really think of, and I'll end it on a positive note, is that I, my favorite scene of the movie is you got Ant-Man doing the heist, which is what these movies have always been and what they should have stayed as, as small heist movies. And he performs this crazy, trippy-looking heist where there's like a thousand ants, and he's one of million Ant-Man. And I thought that scene was very inventive and fun and cool, and that's how I'll end my talk on Ant-Man Quantumania. (laughs) All right, moving on to the biggest film surprise of 2023. So I didn't know how to take this category. I didn't know if it meant like, oh, I was surprised by how much I liked it or surprise of in the movie. Like, was there a good twist? I went with the latter in terms of what had a good surprise of in the movie. And that was Saltburn. Um, you have not seen Saltburn, no. correct? No, not yet. So I cannot spoil really anything, but what I can say is the perspective of what was happening in the movie takes a shift and I was not expecting that and it made me actually go like what the fuck I said that out loud in the movie like what the fuck is going on um so I'll leave it at that but that movie had some real twists and turns in the, within the narrative and I thoroughly enjoyed that movie I uh there have been some there's some backlash to the movie and I think some people just like can't just appreciate that like just because it's, it's a movie that takes place in 2006 that it doesn't have to be perfectly 2006 like it's just like an homage to it which people i think just can't wrap their heads around it um so there's been some weird criticism about it um people didn't like it compared to like promising young woman and then even people didn't like promising young woman when i was like listening and hearing people's reviews as like a oh well we think about this movie we didn't like it i'm like are you nuts like these movies are great emerald fennell is a phenomenal filmmaker so i love saltburn good surprise at the end of the movie John, what about you? What was your film surprise of the year? Yeah, I'm definitely going to check out Saltburn. Jack and I are excited to watch that. I just it, The visuals is really what made me interested about that movie. Now that you're telling me that there's like an interesting turn in the story, I'm definitely more interested because that is what made me uh, you know, st- stay back and not rush out to see that film right away. I just wasn't really that interested. I'm like, oh, rich guy invites college friend to his house. Like, yeah, okay, no, that it, sounds it, pretty stupid. I just that doesn't sound very interesting as a story to me. So, it's pretty psychological. Yeah, I'll say that's that. what it, it seemed like it was hitting on, and I think that's what trailers are really hard to do is talk about and show like a psychological film i think it's really hard to like showcase that in a trailer so i kind of figured that was the case and it's good to know that there's a cool kind of a story twist and turn in that film but my biggest film surprise was the creator the creator comes from gareth edwards and it was a big swing a very cheap in terms of american budgets uh science fiction film about really ai and its effects on maybe future America, future planet Earth. And not only were the special effects incredible, but I really enjoyed the chemistry that uh, John David Washington had with his young co-star. And overall, this film, I thought, was just 
underappreciated. I thought more people would at least go see it. Everyone is always talking about we need more new IP, we need original films, and then a film like The Creator comes out, and everyone's just like, it's just a copycat of this many science fiction movies, and this and that, and it's like, okay, yes, it does borrow inspiration from Blade Runner, and you know, some of your favorite science fiction movies but it is its own story with its own characters and its own world and its own you know plot devices it is very different and I think people just couldn't see past some of the similarities which is kind of disappointing because I thought this film was pretty spectacular especially when it comes to like the visual the overall experience and the ride that you go on I don't think there's many other films that came out in 2023 that felt like a roller coaster in a way it felt like a ride where you have this character kind of going into the deepest depths of this kind of technology and kind of trying to fight his way out and understand the world. I'm trying not to go too deep and, and spoil the movie, but it is so spectacular for a $100 million movie that it looks like this and that it's as grand as it is. And yeah, I don't think you got the chance to see this, but it's a shame because it's definitely deserved to be seen on a big screen. And I think... If more people got to see it on like an IMAX screen like that, I think it would have had a much bigger reaction. And yeah, it's just a shame that people didn't go to, to see this. And that's kind of the main reason why I put it on my biggest film surprise. Because I, even myself, watched the trailer and thought, yeah, that's cool. Good for John David Washington that he's got like a big, you know, leading film here. But nothing really jumped out at me until I saw the film. And I realized that there's a lot more to it and it's a lot more nuanced than I think it, even the big booming trailer kind of showed it as Alrighty, let's move on to the film in 2023 that made you cry the most ben so i thought it was going to be past lives um for this category but i just saw the iron claw the other day the uh zach efron led movie jeremy allen white portraying the von erics of uh wrestling fame and i cried so hard at the end of that movie. No spoilers. It is. I, I know I can't spoil <laughs> it. It is definitely Zac Efron's best performance of his career, which I guess that bar isn't like too high to have to clear, but it's his be it, He was incredible in the movie. And I really want to see how far this movie could go. If the Oscars not saying it's going to, you know, be like the surprise best picture winner. I don't think that's that at all. But I think that there's a lot of great acting. There's a lot of great writing within the movie that should get some consideration and should be talked about a little bit more. And it's it, it was just a very beautiful movie. And the I don't know if you know much about the Von Erics, but it you know there's a lot of tragedy within the movie, and you know it's it just makes you like really really sad sometimes <laughs> uh, while going through the movie. And the ending there's. It's just like one particular scene that is just so beautiful um, with how they did it. And uh, I really appreciated it. Um, and I think it deserves, yeah, more love. So the Iron Claw made me cry the most this year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I know a little bit about the story, some of the kind of traumatic moments of the family's life, but not everything about it. So I'm kind of excited to see and learn more about that wrestling history because I love WWE and wrestling. And Jackie and I actually have tickets to go see that tonight at 7 p.m. So I'm very excited to see that, and we'll chat about it soon. But I had a, a weird look back kind of thinking about all the movies that I watched this year, and I was like, what did I cry at? I'm like, did I even cry at any movie this year? And it really took me a while to even think about it. 
And the movie I really cried the most at is not technically a 2023 movie. It's one of the nominated films from last year, The Whale. I think in terms of what I cried the most at, that would probably be The Whale. In terms of a 2023 film, I think the only film that I watched in 2023 in terms of a new film was Barbie. I think I cried like once during Barbie. I believe when she's like speaking to like the older woman about being mother and motherhood and and that whole big kind of conversation that they had I think that made me emotional and I cried so really it wasn't that much of a emotional year for me in terms of the films I don't think there was a lot I think when you look at past lives you know, it is a very emotional film but it's not the kind of film where it's like I'm crying it's more to me like oh like retrospectively thinking like an appreciative like glad you had that experience I, I don't want to spoil the movie at all but it it was powerful in a way that was emotional, but it's not like making me cry emotional, if that makes sense. So I, I would have to give it to Barbie, if not The Whale, which was from last year. Uh, let's move on to the opposite side of the spectrum and talk about the film in 2023 that made you laugh the most, Ben. Yeah, for me, it was Barbie. Barbie made me laugh the most. I was kind of like just giggling throughout the entire movie. There's just so many great one-liners little you know easter eggs that you can see just like the entire movie has this like really good rhythm to it that you'll get your laugh out loud moments but if you're really paying attention to some of it what you'll just you know you find yourself like giggling to it i think that's what made it like fun because it was a kid's movie that you can take your kid to but also for like, the adults watching you can get some of the, like the adult things that were happening within the story and it was just so precise and well done so i i appreciate it and yeah that was the movie when i thought back on it i was like what was i laughing at the most because there's a movie that i put in my top 10 above barbie that is a comedy but i found myself laughing at barbie more consistently throughout that watch that's a great choice and i think it just highlights as well how great barbie is that it can come from my made you cry the most to then your made you laugh the most and i certainly laughed so much at barbie but i think the film that i laughed the most at in fact now that i think about it i laughed so hard that i cried at joyride this year jackie and i went to go see this together and we just had the best time we had a couple of drinks in us maybe that helped out on the overall experience but this is such a fun goofy experience that we had and now that i'm thinking about joyride more i also cried during joyride and emotionally cried at joyride so i mean maybe joyride is the most emotional experience i had in in the cinemas this year that may be possible and that's crazy because (laughs) it is about you know this woman who's trying to find her original parent because she was adopted from uh, china i believe originally and it's this whole long exodus to kind of find her mother and the journey that she goes on with her friends to kind of get there and it is such a fun time it is so goofy and stupid and it's totally worth the time get a bunch of your friends together have a bottle of wine and you will not be disappointed enjoy ride Alrighty, it is officially time to move into the top 10 films of 2023, the worthy edition that is for both Ben and I. We'll have our own separate list so we can kind of talk and and analyze different films here throughout the year. Uh, What I want to do is hit on some of the films that I haven't personally seen, like Zone of Interest, The Taste of Things, Iron Claw, which I'll see tonight, Maestro on Netflix, and Anatomy of a Fall. And then a little quick honorable mentions. I have Wonka, which is such a wonderful musical. Such a great time. So much fun. Uh, May, December, Priscilla, 
The Creator, as I mentioned. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. James Gunn did it. He made a third film that is just as entertaining. Maybe not as great as the first two films, but I still had a great time. Uh, Air, you got the continuation of Mission Impossible with Dead Reckoning Part 1, which was you know filled with great spectacle. Just maybe a little bit disappointed in the overall story. I mentioned Godzilla minus one as well. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. What an amazing display of animation and really bumped up the kind of game when it came to animation and mixing all these different kinds. So before we go into our number 10, Ben, is there anything you haven't seen or any honorable mentions you want to throw out? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like movies I haven't seen, um, you know, as I've been saying kind of at the beginning of the podcast, it's hard to see a lot of movies. And that's actually the time of the year where I play catch up to see movies that are getting the Oscar love, you know, movies I didn't see yet. And that's one of the good things about kind of one of how they release movies around this time where it was just on like festival circuits or like really small showings to they can fit it in 2023 and then a wider release, a bigger release in January and February. So I love this time of the year because you're trying to play catch up. You're trying to see all the movies that are going to be competing um and thankfully it's like one of the good things about streaming and watching movies at home is because you can find these movies as well on other platforms um that you wouldn't get to in the theater so not the theater experience you still get to see them but like i haven't gotten to see poor things american fiction maestro may december zone of interest the holdovers and anatomy of a fall those movies i can guarantee like probably anatomy of a fall probably may december and i'd imagine one of poor things or American fiction would be within my top 10 um, movies if I had the chance to see them. And it's just, you know, can't see everything like within like the calendar year, but I definitely feel like those movies would have been in there. And then shout out honorable mentions to Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Like that was phenomenal. Um, And then surprisingly, I guess I'm just going to say it's not on my top 10 is Killers of the Flower Moon. I didn't feel like I loved the movie. Don't get me wrong, but and when I was thinking about the 10 movies, I was like, am I putting this in there because I liked it then more than these other movies? Or is it just like, oh, I have to put the Scorsese film in there? And I decided to, I think these other movies, looking at this top 10, is what I feel comfortable with. I think that this was, again, a very weird year with movies, with how with the strike happening, the delays that it caused. Um it was a very strange year. So I like my top 10 and, and I will say Killers of the Flower Moon is not in there. Probably 11 or 12, though, if I really had to be honest. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that that didn't get included. I'll talk about that more and maybe I'll kind of question it. And maybe we can even go into spoiler conversation because I don't think we'll ever have really a good time to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Uh, but before I do, I wanted to bring up something that uh, I didn't prep you or probe you before we started. But I want to know about. Netflix and I think now that I said that you're going to know where I'm going to go with this (laughs) you have a a knock against Netflix and I want to know specifically I want you to tell the audience exactly why that is and and before you do that I'll let you think a little bit exactly on what you're going to say but I want to say that I've been using Netflix probably in the digital version of Netflix probably since the first year that it ever existed. I remember telling my family that this is the future of watching content. You're going, and that was way before people even used the word content. I just remember saying 
to my mom that like you should invest in this stock movies are going to be online and i remember at the time she was just like that's ridiculous like movies are you go to the movie theater to watch them then you buy a dvd like that's ridiculous to her when i i remember explaining this to her and i remember watching like the first tv show that netflix ever created i was there literally watching it on my like home computer so I've been there and I've continually paid for my family subscription, which is now up to $25 a month. It is basically a utility at that point. And now is, is that all to say that Netflix is like the God's greatest gift on earth? No, I don't think Netflix is like done only good for the film industry. I think there's a lot to point out to of how it maybe has also hurt the film industry as well. But I think it's safe to say at this point that Netflix is the, one of the dominant and if not the most dominant streaming streamer on any sort of platform you know so ben with that all being said what is your beef with netflix there is a clear absence of every netflix (laughs) kind of major awards film here so what's up yeah i mean i i love netflix i i really you know i was a big user of it when we were able to use dvds i remember you know trying to figure out how how am i gonna get this disc and that disc next like i love love the concept of it nothing wrong with its interface it's just the password sharing i i get that you you're trying to stop people from you know sharing it and using multiple accounts and you know you're trying to like your bottom line is you're just you know you're a business you're trying to make your money i can get and respect that but at the same time how much money is not enough with the amount of money that netflix clearly has um so to the whole password sharing like screwed People like me who, yeah, I was using my parents' Netflix, you know, account for basically the entire time that Netflix has been around. Nothing wrong with that. But now that because I I don't live at home, I can't use Netflix. And I'm not about to start paying for that because of two movies that I would want to see throughout the year. I don't want to see other content really on Netflix. There's not not too much that I'm like dying. I got to see it. And I kind of made that decision because... There's so many other things and other platforms that are out there that I'm like barely even scratching the surface on because of so many other things that I'm trying to watch. So Netflix took the hit there uh, in terms of me subscribing to it. And now I didn't get to see Maestro in May, December, which I don't know, I guess I'll have to go to my parents' house for a day to watch both those movies, which is whatever. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's definitely like, deters me from wanting to subscribe to the platform um because of the whole password sharing thing it really makes no sense i mean i'm not gonna you know die on this hill it's just that i'm not gonna have a netflix account all right so i'll miss out on some movies you know and that's that's you know i'm not the one that's gonna make a different one person's gonna make a difference to their bottom line um but it's definitely not like a great it wasn't a great thing. It puts a lot of people who don't have the ability to just have every single streaming platform and pay for it. And especially at the price that they're, that they wanted to pay it at it is just ridiculous for some of the plans. So I'm, you know, I'll figure out a way to watch my show May December, even if it is illegal streaming, I'll have to do that, but I don't want to have to give Netflix money just so I can watch those two movies. You know, I think that's fair. What I would like to see from Netflix is more of a, Maybe you can rent these films. Maybe you can just put a $20 rental fee for these films. And for those people that don't want to sign up for a month of Netflix, I just don't think that's ever going to happen because they want people to get looped in. They want people to forget about their subscription. They want people just to keep paying them monthly after month. 
And that's something that I've seen with my family now too. Like they're restricted from some outsiders that are not like the core four or five people that use my account. Their family members, they can't use it at all. They've somehow figured out that their IP address is not the specific person that is like it for that profile. So then boom, they're completely not allowed to watch it. So they've done a really good job of cracking down. Whether you agree with that or not is a whole different story, but I don't know. It's it's a kind of mixed bag right now with Netflix, and it is a shame because you know May December's got one of your favorite actresses, Natalie Portman, and that may have made your one of my favorite. Yes, your favorite actress, (laughs) and you know Maestro. You're a big music fan. You like Bradley Cooper. Like maybe that would have been on your top ten, but because it's so restricting and it's just locked onto that platform, it's kind of disappointing. And I don't really think you can look at maybe any of these other films on here that are locked and stuck on a platform like that. You know, there's maybe one of mine that is restricted on one platform, but besides that you can rent every one of these films on our top 10 list. So with that all being said, let's jump over. Ben, what is your 10th favorite film of 2023? So my 10th favorite film of 2023 was a movie that I was looking forward to for a a long time since I first uh, heard about the concept uh, and that it was the movie Thanksgiving. So if you don't know the, the kind of background to Thanksgiving, the movie was a fake trailer within the Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Grindhouse movies, which was Planet Terror and Death Proof. So it was this like, t- you know, two minute trailer, fake trailer about a slasher 80s horror movie called Thanksgiving. And I was just so like into that idea and concept and i was like oh this is gonna be really cool and then they started making all the other like trailers they did hobo with a shotgun machete um and it was like okay like is this movie gonna get made and then it finally did and i was not disappointed at all i think we got a brand new kind of like horror costume which is john carver that costume is gonna be great at halloween next year because Everyone's going to be thinking like, oh, Thanksgiving time is right around the corner. It's like a pilgrim. They're going to carry around the big axe. Like, I'm a big fan of it. I really loved the homage to 80s movies. I like that it stepped up the horror a little bit, the gore, you know, a little bit to the modern times. It it had twists and turns that, like, I was not expecting. I was like, man, what? Like, who is it? Who's going to figure it out? And then when you finally figure out, like, who it is at the end, you're like not like shocked, but you're like, wow, how did I not pick up on that detail? Like, oh wow, they really made me think this way about that person. So I was very impressed by it. I really enjoyed it. So Thanksgiving is my number ten of the year. I'm so glad you included that because that is definitely one of the best experiences I've had in theaters all year. It almost made my biggest surprise category this year because it was such a surprise. It. It was the first scene being in Black Friday, and, and man, the dialogue was terrible. The characters were awful. They may have said the F word, like, I don't know, 50 times in, like, the first five minutes <laughs> of the movie. And I'm like, what is going on? And it wasn't until, I think you said this, when a certain character gets their throat cut, that's all I'll say, in the first scene that you knew immediately, like, oh, wow, like, this is, we're in for a treat. Like, this is going to be such a fun, goofy ride. And that's exactly what it was. It was so ridiculous and goofy, and they knew exactly what it was. It wore all of its influences on its sleeve in a way that I think honored them, but also like manipulated them to fit the Thanksgiving theme really well. It was just such a blast. It had all the great kills that they showed off in the trailer. 
in terms of the Thanksgiving original trailer. And they just amplified it and actually made a story that was like a fun guess who in the vein of like Scream while also having some really brutal, violent kills that I thought were some of the best, honestly, of this year's horror franchises. So props to that. Yeah. And just like that Thanksgiving parade sequence was so, so good. Yeah. So it's not... I, again, like this isn't a movie that I'm like, oh, this is an A plus movie. This is just like a really good time. It's an a riff off of '80s horror movies, which is always going to catch you know my attention, especially your attention. And it, it's well made. It's not you know some like schlocky horror movie that is just like well, we're just making it just to have the blood in the guts. Like no, this like has like purpose to it. There's a momentum. There's a feel. There's a rhythm to it that makes it. An, an interesting movie to watch it's not like the best acted but it does the job to make you just like give a shit about the movie my number 10 is the complete opposite ends of things and that is poor things by your ghost lanthimos i don't think you've gotten a chance to see this yet i think it probably would make your top 10 just purely based on the wacky visuals and Emma Stone's wonderful performance. Mark Ruffalo maybe is one of the funniest characters of the year. And William Dafoe is like somehow so emotional and present and and kind of sweetly endearing as like the kind of Dr. Frankenstein of this movie. Uh, Overall, I think it's at number 10 for me because it didn't hit in terms of its story and it's in terms of its emotions, in terms of... You know, this character that Emma Stone plays, this Frankenstein-ish Bella character that she is kind of lost in this world trying to, like, pick up the pieces and figure out who she is as a woman and what it like, what it means, really, to be a woman in, in a very much male-dominated world. And I honestly think you could look at Barbie and Poor Things as this weird 2023 kind of in-tandem film where you can kind of look at feminism displayed and represented in 2023 and how these two very drastic filmmakers you know with uh, your ghosts and you look at how different they've kind of taken this subject matter and with their own experiences one being a woman one being a man and kind of how different they are how twisted poor things is versus Greta Gerwig's Barbie and I think those two as just like this complimentary piece is a great you know, night of filmmaking in terms of what they represent. But overall, Poor Things, it is such a fun experience. It's such a wacky film, maybe one of the funniest of the years with all the weird, goofy dialogue and the weird character that Bella is. Um, But overall, for me, what held back is just the story. I wish it was a little bit deeper. I wish they kind of cut the film off maybe 15 minutes from the end and and really focused more on Bella and and they just try to tie everything up too quickly, I thought. So with that being said, Poor Things is my number 10. Let's move on to number 9, Ben. So my number 9, uh, again, probably not a conventional pick, it was Napoleon. The Ridley Scott uh, epic about Napoleon Bonaparte, the French general and war master, war mind, war pig. They use war pigs for the trailer of that film. Uh, I thought they were going to use war pigs in the movie, which I thought would have just been sick. Um, <laughs> but anyways, the the I really enjoy this movie. I really I enjoy biopics. I enjoy these grand war sequences. It it was the movies as a kid that really caught my attention that made me really appreciate 
film and what I, you know generally it's what i'm attracted to and i really just enjoyed it it was again not like a perfect movie joaquin phoenix though is unhinged <laughs> he has done several movies now in a row where i'm just concerned for the man um and i yeah i really enjoyed this movie the visual effects it's funny that it's on the short list for best visual effects because i would actually say the visual effects are so like goofy because you can tell they're just like somebody with like an ai bot that's just like i right, put an explosive there put a body getting burst up over there and just like paint it over and he, and it was so e- kind of easy to tell but it's also kind of like one of the cool things of ridley scott is he's a director who embraces technology who embraces different ways of filmmaking and uses them to his advantage to help tell a story and again like i i enjoyed it i thought that it was it was way you know it was funnier than i anticipated with the movie like so that was kind of a shock and again like joaquin phoenix like man like you want to talk because I'll, I'll talk with you man like there's a lot i know that's gone on in your life but it seemed to really come out in these movies so <laughs> uh yeah i was a fan um i know not everybody was into that movie but i would definitely like watch it again at home just to be like yeah i need just a nice two and a half hour like epic yeah that's not something i've gotten a chance to see yet i definitely want to see it i love a good ridley scott film and i love just how he makes such bold choices and it sounds like he did it again here i i've heard a little bit of conversations about that uh cgi and the special effects mixed in with the battle scene so very excited to see that and and excited to see the humor because i've seen that as well people talking about the movie as a surprising amount of sex and humor which you would not expect yep my number nine is maybe the weirdest, maybe maybe the least watched film on my list. I don't think that's even crazy to say, but it is a film that went direct to Amazon Prime. It, it They say that it was in select theaters. I do not know how wide this release was. It must have been a very small release, but that is a film called The Burial, and not many people have heard about it. For some people, this may be kind of a lower-end court case drama But I thought this film was honestly so well directed and it stars Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones and it's inspired by true events with basically Jamie Foxx playing a lawyer who's helping a funeral homeowner played by Tommy Lee Jones basically get out of a really bad business deal. He's been kind of manipulated and he's stuck in a very bad business deal and he's like a 75 year old man who should be retiring and passing on his legacy and his business to his family but is instead stuck in this huge court case that is kind of only grown and grown and you have these kind of dramatic elements of race because you obviously have jamie lee jamie fox who's playing this very uh honorated and respected black attorney who doesn't take these very big and public court cases until this film or until the moments in the film where he decides to take on this lawsuit and so you have that race elements between him and Tommy Lee Jones and you have some of the other actors kind of involved so the film is very much about American history in that way where you have racism kind of spread throughout the entire film and and dealing with racism but it's not your white savior story like you would kind of expect from a film like this it's not about the white man coming in and like helping someone who's in need and and kind of changing their life and their story it's it's almost the opposite it's about like an older man who's been 
basically washed over. His American dream is not that significant because it's kind of small and compared to some businessmen in the country. And it's about a black lawyer coming in and kind of saving his ass, really. Willie Gary is based on true story. So this is a very famous lawyer who kind of started his stardom, really, from this point on and grew to be a very iconic lawyer in America. So not only do I think it is just an amazing, very compelling story, I think that story alone is is really interesting and compelling, but the film is directed by Maggie Betts. She's like a second-time filmmaker. She's a, a black female director, so again, extremely limited in terms of how often do we see those. Extremely, almost never. Uh, this is a film that's going to be completely looked over, and I honestly think it is one of this year's best movies. It's only her second film she ever made, and it's it's dynamic. It's interesting, and it's, I think, a little too easy and too simple for some people, but sometimes you just need a film that is just simple. It's easy. It's digestible. But yet, it's still telling a very big message. It's a much grander story than just about this one specific court case. So, I mean, I love a good court case drama, and I think it really just hit the nail on the head in terms of being a well-acted, great story, and just well-directed, you know? Like, the camera's constantly moving. It's You really feel like you're a part of the story here, and it's two hours, six minutes. It's quick. You're in and out. It's touching. It's a really beautiful film. Go check it out on Prime. It's called The Burial. All right, Ben, let's move on to number eight. So my number eight is a movie that I mentioned before and features an actor I just talked about. That was Bo is Afraid. Um, Again, most people probably aren't picking this movie for their top (laughs) ten. I thought that the irreverent nature to it, I thought that Aster took some very big risks. The movie is just a trip. It is a trip all around. Joaquin Phoenix again puts a great performance on on the screen. It there's so much to I think unpack within the movie that I think you could literally go scene by scene and still come to the conclusion I don't know what's going on in this movie. And that's just kind of like the fun nature of it. I think that it's a movie that I could rewatch again and try and dive into and I think I would have fun with it. Um so I really enjoyed it. I loved all the other performances in it and had some big shock factors uh within the movie so um yeah Bo's afraid just like like back-to-back Joaquin Phoenix films with my top 10 I love it I'm gonna keep that energy going uh John what'd you go for number eight I gave my number eight spot to Master Gardener so Ben gave me shit because this film was premiered in 2022 but it was premiered (laughs) in film festivals okay that happens all the time if I can't see it in a theater, it's not publicly released to me. This film was released in 2023. Master Gardener by Paul Schrader. This film, I think, fits into his uh, angsty, middle-aged man journal films. I don't know how else to describe them, but they, they're basically that. They're middle-aged men who are dealing with past trauma, much like First Reformed and The Card Counter. I think this is the third film in this trilogy of men writing in journals to express their past traumas. And this is done as a... Man, I'm trying not to spoil this movie because I really think this is one of the, like, the most beautiful and touching films of the year. Paul Schrader has this knack of writing such overly written voiceover and I think you see that directly here with Joel Edgerton, who's playing this this gardener, who's this, you know, head of this 
I'm blanking on the word for large garden. He's of this observatory. That's not the word. I can't think of what it's called. But he is the head of this garden, and it's beautiful. So you have all this beautiful cinematography of the garden and this great voiceover that's written in so, such detail about plants and flowers. This is not a movie for everyone, but it just is a very odd and not normal love story. And I thought it was extremely touching, and it's about you know, how someone can overcome their past traumas, how someone can still be a good person, even though they may have been a very, very terrible person. And you don't really see films about that. You almost never see films about that because it's a conflicted protagonist. And most people don't want to watch a conflicted protagonist. So go check out Master Gardener. If you're into movies where characters talk uh, voiceover from their journal and they deal with past traumas. So if that's something you're into, check out Master Gardener. Alrighty, let's move over to number seven, Ben. So my number seven, I uh, mentioned it before, made me cry the most, The Iron Claw, the Sean Durkin directed film about the Von Erich uh, wrestling family. It was it was really, really well done. I did not, you know, everyone was giving it a lot of hype. And I was like, is this a lot of hype because of Zac Efron? Because of Jeremy Allen White? Yeah, Jeremy Allen White, uh, his star is just skyrocketing because of the bear he is getting a ton of love and attention i just think that this movie has such a good emotional core and it's well made well told the cinematography is top notch like it's just a great movie and i think it was it's easily accessible for me people to get into it is a very emotional like man movie and the fact that like you see these hulking you know guys in turn you know with big muscles there's a lot of focus on the male body in the movie, and it's just driven by emotions. There's no – it doesn't really have that, like, machismo, like, aggro, like, feel to it that I think you're probably expecting it to have. And I think that's what kind of makes it interesting is because it has this emotional core to it. So I'm trying not to get into spoilers. I know you're going to see it later. But shout-out to Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, who was in Triangle Sadness last year. He was – great uh in this movie as david von eric um lily james was really great too as well as the love interest from the movie so i'm interested to hear uh you know what you have to say uh after you see it but i think you're really gonna enjoy it and um yeah big shout out to this movie it was truly a fun watch yeah i can't really wait to watch that tonight it's so exciting moving over to my number seven it is The Killer from David Fincher. Uh, ben and I were lucky enough to go see this in New York in one of Netflix's actual theater. And it was such a fun time to go and, and see this in the cinemas where you should see every David Fincher film. Really, if anyone is associated with Netflix that is so sad and depressing that their films are kind of locked on that platform, it's probably David Fincher because he makes the films that you should be seeing in theaters. I mean, the, just the purely the sound design of The Killer and the fact that people are watching this at home with like a sound bar makes me a little bit depressed. But I understand not everyone has surround sound. Not everyone gets this uh, chance to be able to see The Killer in theaters because Netflix has limited their releases for most of their movies. So I think this is the Netflix film that Ben has been lucky enough to see because we got to go see it in theaters, which was such a fun time. But the killer, Michael Fassbender, just absolutely dominating every single scene. He's in this movie throughout 
you know maybe every scene he's in this movie it's kind of an, an impressive performance in that regard where he plays this kind of stunted emotionally retreated hitman who just says he doesn't care about life but he clearly cares a lot about life and that is what i found so interesting is that he is just lying to us he's this unreliable narrator who's telling you everything is perfect he's the best hitman he never fails and boom spoiler what happens he fails and that's kind of the result of the whole movie and and from that point on you're like i can't trust really anything this guy says what is the truth what is not the truth how he like in interacts with his loved ones i thought was very interesting how much he reveals to us in terms of fincher showing us this character and how much he kind of hides away from us i overall just thought this was such an interesting film and such an interesting character that it had to make my top 10 i think for some people this film's a little too slow it's I, a lot of people look at the killer and they're like nothing happened and to a degree, I'm like, I understand that it's, there's no massive action scene. There's no huge gunfight. And I think really where people get that from the killer is that the last scene or two is very quiet. It's not like this build up to this insane John Wick style big fight scene at the end. And with a revenge film, we've kind of been accustomed to that. But it feels like this film is intentionally not giving us that because that's not what's important. What's important is this character, the killer. And I just thought that was so interesting that they don't decide to go that far, that they decide to hold back his romantic relationship and how much they show you of that relationship. It it all felt very intentionally done and it felt that it was maybe one of his most subtle films that he ever made. And I think that's what is causing people to not take take it in the same way that maybe i i've taken it i don't know that's food for thought the killer it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it ben let's move on over to number six so my number six is barbie um it is probably the smartest movie of the year the script is one of the best scripts probably from the last decade um i will be shocked and disappointed if it doesn't win an Oscar for its script alone um, because of how just again how smart it is how like funny how nuanced how informative dramatic it is like it it's such a well-made story the I love the set design within the film I thought that was smart you know learning about that they made it to scale of what Barbie is to her you know accessories and toys like the way that it it creates this great perspective within the movie and the world that they create. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Margot Robbie was great. Ryan Gosling, he might be winning an Oscar for his performance as Ken. Um, I mean, listen, it, it really did capture a lot of people's imaginations, a lot of people's thoughts. Uh, and, and that's a great thing about movies in general, but especially a movie like this that can get a big universal appeal to it. Um, thoroughly impressed more than i think i was expecting i was expecting a good movie was not expecting this good of a movie so a big fan of barbie um and i thought deserved to be my top 10 of the year my number six i went with killers of the flower moon so since this is not on your top 10 and since you know we don't live near each other anymore we don't get to talk that much about (laughs) films that aren't you know on the worthy watch list 
So I want to chat a little bit about it. We're obviously not going to go through the whole three and a half hour movie. I specifically actually want to talk about the end, not the final scene of, of the drum playing. Again, spoilers. I'm spoiling very much spoiling Killers of the Flower Spoilers. Movie. Spoilers. If you want to not be spoiled, just skip you know, five minutes ahead. We'll probably be on our top five films of the year. But I wanted to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon and especially wanted to talk about the final scene in the radio play. And I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts overall of why Scorsese decided to do the ending that way, why he decided himself to go in and just read her obituary in that way. What are your overall thoughts of that ending and, and why you think he did that? Well, first off, Jack White making the cameo of the year for me in that scene, my jaw literally dropped. Uh, for those, I don't think I've ever really expressed this on the podcast. I'm a huge Jack White fanatic. Um, and I was just like, I can't believe they got in this movie. And I should have known because he posted something on Instagram that was of, um, you know, of people from the, from the tribe uh, on his Instagram. I'm like, why is he posting about this? But now I know that it was from the movie. Regardless, I thought that the radio drama was such a interesting and smart way. And again, like this meta way of filmmaking that we've talked about before of how this era is meta filmmaking, the meta genre of movies. And to me, what it said and kind of this whole, you know, the movie really is more about um, more about Molly, Lily Gladstone's character and giving her life and giving these people within the Osage, you know, tribe and, and Osage nation, like giving them a voice and not making that like, yeah, the narrative was about DiCaprio, Ernest and, and, and De Niro's character just like scheming to get all this, but it also gave a lot of life to people that were not getting that representation. And so I think kind of like the, I think it's also, I think it's like Scorsese kind of critiquing, you know, film and how we talk about people because everyone's so focused on the two men in the movie and not necessarily Molly's character. And, and that story is what's lost when we re-dramatize everything 20 years later as a radio drama. Oh, we just care about that. There was killing, there was a mystery and the bad guys were caught and, th and this is what happens to them rather than, well, this is who Molly was. Let me read her obituary. And like, this is kind of like what we only have of her if we didn't have this movie per se. So it's like him, sort of like critiquing filmmaking, congratulating himself for being like, well, I'm, I am one that, to talk about this, you know, so kind of like strokes his ego, but also kind of critiques everybody to be like, well, how, what's the story that you're trying to tell and who you're not talking about because of that story. And I think that that's why it felt important for him when you hear about like the people that he got to have the work on this movie, that he had Osage people on the film, you know, and keeping it, you know, it sounds like shade to say authentic because of the world we live in, but like to have that authenticity was crucial uh, to him in making this movie. So I thought it was a very like powerful message to have it be a drama at the end, a radio drama at the end to be like, well, how are we really talking about these people? What's the real story here? I think a good way of looking at it, especially the end. And I've seen critics talk about this movie and, I wouldn't even probably say critics. I, this is probably more like YouTube commentary critics and people you could barely call critics say like, this is his first attempt at making a Western film. And I'm like, you clearly, you just clearly saw cowboy hats and said that this is a Western film. And 
it almost feels like intentionally not like it is almost the anti-western and instead of we have our john wayne who's our you know maybe reluctant hero who's handsome but saves everyone at the end of the day a la like the searchers maybe as the prime example instead of building up and having this massive battle and it's you know native americans versus the good guys and it's this huge big battle and then at the end our hero finally wins it's almost like the opposite it's like we are dwindling down our numbers of natives in this town they're slowly murdering them you're kind of watching it as a form of enjoyment so it's kind of like what martin scorsese is saying that like it's kind of gross that this is kind of what we like to watch but this is clearly how this film is being made there probably wouldn't have been any sort of film that was made on this level of budget if it was just about you know her or the osage people alone without having these two big stars kind of leading this film getting the money behind it so there's that commentary as well commentary that even like martin scorsese is a part of this i wouldn't say like problem but he's part of the reason why maybe there's some criticism there as well so he he is but the, the ending also takes the place of rolling credits it's like this cool meta way of instead of just saying rolling credits and showing you know exactly what happened to Ernest or William Hale and what happened to Molly it's a form of telling the audience what happened after our story basically but it's doing doing so in the form of the time period by making it into a radio play but also by doing that it almost like makes it not as serious not as important and almost it starts to show in a meta way how this story was kind of whitewashed how they made it a fun goofy experience instead of a true horrific story in that way so Overall, obviously, we we talked in a very specific detail about this film. It's a three and a half hour movie. There's so much to it. I would say it's an epic. It's a huge film that takes place over like a long period of time and, and shows these characters change. And I think for a lot of people, why they didn't fully latch on to it is because of DiCaprio. I think you look at him and he's like our, usually our strong leading man and maybe he's been in some Scorsese films where he's like a conflicted protagonist and he doesn't really know what's going on or he's maybe not as much of a good guy as you think he is but for this film he is almost like a lovable idiot but he's doing something so horrifically wrong but he's like trying not to not even justify because he's trying to like basically avoid what he's doing as being bad like he's basically trying to say that he's not a part of this huge problem when he is one of the main culprits of this problem which to me i thought was such an interesting way to tell a story and i think there's people that watch this movie and probably think that he's like the hero all along which you are clearly just not understanding the movie the message of what this story is even about so it's just a very complicated film that's told i think in a way that doesn't really feel complicated and i think you can look at this film and not really analyze it and look much deeper and other than wow that was so sad like it's horrible what we did to those yeah. people i think there's there's a lot more depth to this film that i think a lot of people see right away yeah it's the again the meta filmmaking that makes you with like the DiCaprio character a lovable idiot when I think you made a really good point where it's like, oh, we think he like he thinks he's in the right. We as the audience are sh- are kind of made to believe that he's in the right because of how the story is told. But it's co- sort of like one of those things like, well, maybe you as, let's say, a white audience would think that, you know, this way that you're right. You know, and it's like Scorsese's way of like commenting on 
well, you think you're not part of the problem, but you are part of the problem. And it's just like this meta, you know, cyclical filmmaking that, hey, he's really smart and he's obviously one of the best filmmakers, you know, ever, not just alive. And he can catch on to these concepts really well and tell a story that you feel like has nothing to do with modern times, but also has everything to do with modern times and what is going on. Very well said. Ben, it's time to jump in our top five films of 2023. All right. So these are the top five movies that like, so as we go through them, like these are the ones that I felt the best about in terms of like definitively ranking them. Uh, so my number five, Saltburn, Emerald Fennell, I just amazing. She's an amazing filmmaker, amazing writer. She's funny. She really knows how to craft these visuals and create shock value where you're not expecting it. I know you didn't see it, so I can't spoil too much, but uh, Barry Cogan is a, a talent that you know has been, again, like on a rising star, but he went into another level in this movie. Jacob Elordi, gorgeous to look at. Like You get sort of like the infatuation within the movie that is that the movie is, is about and what it's based off of. So I loved it. I thought that it was psychologically, it had fucked with me in many ways. It had really great uh, humor, really great visuals. It was an homage to the early 2000s, which we're just going to have to get used to that that is now, it's 20 years later, we have to make movies about that era and the way it li- people were living, the way people dress. Like It's kind of weird having grown up in it but, and now actually living it again. Um, so this movie, it got some backlash. I think people like couldn't really get it. They weren't expecting some of the shock that does happen, so they maybe turned them off, but... I really loved it. It was nefarious in every sense of the way, and and, and uh, I just loved it. So, Saltburn, my number five. John, what is your number five? I went with American Fiction by Cord Jefferson. So, not a lot of not a lot of people have seen this. I, I think you may even call this film a melodrama, and I think more people need to see this. I think there's a possibility this wins best adapted screenplay this year at the Oscars. Because it's this beautiful portrayal, an honest portrayal of this black American family and specifically on black entertainment. You know, what it means to be black, what it means to represent your life experiences, what it means to maybe not have the same life experiences that you see in fiction. Or maybe how fiction kind of idolizes black experience in a way that's kind of disturbing and used for our white enjoyment it's a film that i think challenges the viewer but not in a way that makes you roll your eyes it's a a challenging experience that makes you kind of go along you understand these characters and it may have could have gone a little bit deeper once you get to the end of it and you kind of see where you land but you know even from the last shot the very end moments the film has something to say and the film is trying to make you think and question fiction that you watch you know question the reality of fiction whether fiction is portrayed in the way that it should be or is it just portrayed in what's most entertaining and I think that's a great way to kind of summarize American fiction I think Ben you'll love this film in terms of its writing it's so well written and it's quirky and it's fun definitely give it a chance it is one of the most endearing and probably one of the most like realistic depictions of family that you'll see all year all right, let's move on. Yeah, and it's to, a, it's an Apple movie, right? I think so. Let me see. Well, yeah, so it kind of makes it again easily accessible for people because you can rent it. You know, I'm sure you can rent it uh, through Apple through iTunes. So 
Whereas Netflix, you can't get those movies, which is disappointing. So I'm sure I will love American fiction when I get around to watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to number four. So my number four is Bottoms, uh, the comedy movie that was a riff off of, again, an early 2000s classic, um, Superbad. I thought that what Rachel Sinnoh was doing in Bottoms was just exactly what Jonah Hill did in uh, in Superbad, and I loved it. I was laughing so hard throughout this movie. I thought it was a smart film. I love, again, the trajectory of Rachel Sinnoh, A.O. Uh, Debris, uh, and Emma Seligman, the director of the film. You know, these, these are great filmmakers that are around our age, I think maybe a year or two younger, but they're creating movies that I am loving. I love the trajectory that they're on, and I'm really excited to see the next movies that they make and, and where they keep going from here. Cause it's a tandem, uh, especially between Rachel and Emma that has been fruitful. Um, and I think that it's just going to create more and more great films through, you know, the next several years. Did you get a chance to see bottoms? I don't remember if you did or not. I did. Um, yeah. But I thought it was a great okay, time. So, so goofy. Just, I loved, I think my favorite part about it is it's like earnesty. It's like, they're basically building a world that is so unrealistic. Like I don't, it's like on the level of Bo's afraid, but a comedy, you know, in the way where it's like a straightforward, very much everything is supposed to be comedic in a way that, for example, the football players in the movie, they always wear their shoulder pads and outfit. It doesn't matter if they're in <laughs> class. It doesn't matter if it's the weekend, they're outside of school, they're wearing football pads. And if that is hilarious to you, then you'll love bottoms. I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Again, I found myself just laughing the entire time throughout that movie. There's so many little jokes that I don't think that you can just pick up on right away. Um, but if you're just like looking at the background, looking for subtle details, it is so, so well made. And it's a quick watch too, which like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the king of long movies and, and advocating for movies should be the length they are. But there's, there is something great about a nice hour and a half movie and an hour and a half comedy, and it hits it on the pacing. There's just fun stuff, and the ending too is so absurd, but it's it's just great, absolutely great. So, what is your uh, number four, John? The time is now for Ben to talk to me because my number four is talk to me, the best horror movie of the year. It's rare that when I watch a movie, Ben watches a movie that we're like that far off the same page you know sometimes there's like a things like i didn't like that aspect of it i didn't like the end you like the end it's rare that we are both like it feels like we saw a different movie because i left talk to me like blown away it had i'm not going to spoil this movie because i really want people to go out and see talk to me that haven't seen it and the story behind making of it, I think, is fascinating in itself. And that doesn't go to even why I love the movie itself. But you have these two filmmakers, I think they're brothers, who kind of started their career in YouTube making short films. Eventually, they make an A24 film. It's their first like feature-length film ever, I believe. And they've come out of the gate making this like social commentary film about addiction and it's at the same time spooky and disturbing and it doesn't give you all the answers like I think a lot of science fiction-y horror films do. It decides to not give you everything and there's something about that that makes it so creepy and the not knowing of where this thing comes from, where the hand comes from and, and 
why people are like playing games with it. It, it. It's a film that like slowly builds up and makes you question what's happening and whether things are actually happening or it's all just in these characters' heads. And yes, those are tropes that we've seen throughout horror films a lot. And there are a lot of tropey elements here that it's like, okay, I've seen this before. But I think where the film decides to go, how deep it wants to go in certain directions is really what I found so inspiring. And without spoiling it, I think this is one of the best endings of the year. It was an ending where I was watching this movie, and I think when it comes to like horror films, murder mysteries, you're always trying to think, like, how do we end this? Because especially for a horror film, it's like the opening and the ending is so impactful for making a horror film. Just look at Halloween, for example. The opening ending of that movie is what makes Halloween, right? And I think that's the case for most horror films. And when I was watching Talk to Me, I was like, there's no way. Like, I have, I have an idea of how this movie could end, but there's no way they're going to do that. That is so weird and out there that, like, I don't even know how they would even depict it. And they did. They did it, and they depicted it in a way that was so disturbing and weird and, like, haunting that I love this movie tenfold because of that's the way they ended it. So... I, I, we can't even, like, argue about this because we see this movie so differently. I don't know if it's, like, a life experience thing or uh, maybe the genre, like, going too far in, in this kind of, like, horror genre of supernatural. I don't really know what it is that, like, you couldn't latch on to, but I personally found this... And I, it sounds like it mainly is the characters because the characters are intentionally kind of annoying. They're high schoolers. They're very well written in that way where it feels like authentic with their social media their phone obsession our main character is essentially an addict and because of that she makes a lot of stupid decisions she does things that only an addict would do and i thought that was really interesting and i thought that was interesting to take that form of addiction and mend it into this supernatural horror it was really interesting so anything to what i just said any commentary or thoughts on talk to me again we don't have to argue about this but what 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 is, what is your response here i don't know like i i think it's just one of those things where we just see it so differently within the movie like it just it just like didn't hit for me like and you know your points like it just i don't know i don't know what it is like i and i really do think it's just cuz of like that main character like and just I just thought she was just a shitty person and did like just like selfish things that within the movie that I don't that it leads to the direct plot of it, which I guess is like sort of the point too is like she makes her mistakes, but it's still just yeah, this didn't ring home to me like I think that it did for you. Um, Let me ask you I don't know. a follow up question just to kind of like end this conversation and it's not really about talk to <laughs> me, but is yeah. there like a film I'm trying to like analyze you a little bit here. Is there like a film that maybe has a a bad protagonist, a conflicted protagonist that you maybe disagree with a lot, but it's a film that you still love at the end of the day. You know, I, I, for instance, while you're thinking, I, I right away went to Good Times, which is a movie where we have this protagonist who is horrible, who drugs people. He he almost sleeps with someone who's underage. He's definitely abusing his younger brother who has some sort of disability. But I love that ride. That movie takes you on such a crazy ride that I'm having a great time even though this character is like the worst. So that's like the the recent example in the past like five, ten years that jumped out to me. Is there like a film that you can think of? 
like clockwork I can't orange think of a f- even no because like because like even within those like movies like they're not good people for like extreme reasons like extreme behaviors that clearly i would say is deplorable what she does is she you know she lost her mother i you know i lost my mother too and i guess i wouldn't then want to risk the health and safety of my i'm putting air quotes around it you know family these people that that took her in that like respect her and love her that she supposedly loves them back and she risked them for like very weird selfish behavior um that ultimately she keeps trying to to chase the entire movie and despite knowing the consequences of it is like what is like fucked up for me you know like obviously alex delarge in the clockwork orange is a despicable character <laughs> there's like awful things that he does and but that's not the point of the i like i'm not i don't love that movie because he does awful things i love that movie because of his actions and results and like everything that goes on within that movie whereas with this is just like i can't even get into this because i find the thing that she did easily avoidable and i think with this concept they could have gone like multiple different ways with it you know a movie that i thought was similar to it where you don't really see the villain so it's like a mysterious figure was smile i love smile there's no like human element to it that i felt needed to be tied in whereas this was like they're really trying to hammer in this like family element to it that i'm just like that ruins like a lot of what i'm watching and viewing so uh, that's why i think it's just like the way we both viewed it is like the difference with why we did or did not enjoy it yeah it's interesting because even like your description of disliking it is like damn that's so interesting and i think it's it's because of this like addiction that this kind of character has And, and basically i think to summarize it if you like films about addiction you will like this movie if you want a film that's like about addiction and is a horror movie like talk to me is the movie and i think for some people it's just like it's too irritating of a character of a story to kind of go through that the horror elements aren't worth it to you if you're like so annoyed by the character so i get it yeah like it just kept it kept taking me out of it you know and that's why i just could not enjoy it and that's why i think that was like what i said to you a bunch after we were talking about it i was just like but i don't care about her i don't care about this relationship they try to build up for it and like so just like the ending that i think that was like powerful and worked for you was just like i could not wait to be over with it <laughs> i was like good good that you're trapped <laughs> <laughs> all right what's your top three then mister all right, so my number three, and this is a movie that I saw. So I'll give like a quick, like funny thing. I saw um, it was the second viewing of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and this movie. And the same time, I had like a lot of time to kill, so I decided to see Everything Everywhere and this movie the same night. And I kind of walked out of this movie thinking, did I like that more than Everything Everywhere All at Once? And it was a second viewing of it. And this movie was Infinity Pool, the Brandon Cronenberg movie. I John, you know me. It's not like I'm a Cronenberg fan. I think the last Cronenberg movie that I watched, I also did not like. Um, what was the name of that movie that I? Um, it was the. Uh, oh my god, I'm blanking. I mean, was, I'm blanking on it so hard. Now. You, you know. Ex- regardless, it, it was a movie that I just was not. Um, oh, Crimes of the yeah, Future. Crimes That's what it was. Future, I did not. Yeah. I, I did not like Crimes <laughs> of the Future. But this movie, Infinity Pool. I loved, I loved Infinity Pool, you know, not the same Cronenberg, you know, father or something, but regardless, um, I thought that Mia Goth in this movie 
was way better and and more sinister than what she was doing in the X movies that just came out with Ty West. Like this, I thought was like another level. I thought Alexander Skarsgård was a great you know lead into this movie. The cinematography in this movie was so interesting. There's so many like upside down kind of shots and. You kind of wonder, like, what does Infinity Pool really mean? I know you didn't see this movie, so it's like I can't really spoil a lot of it. But I think it's like one of the things I liked about Bo is Afraid is it's a movie that makes you think. And there's actually, I think, a clear thing that you're trying to get on. It has a lot to do with, you know, social standing, money, and, you know, how, like, people in the higher ups of society can enjoy a lot of benefits (laughs) to life Mm -hmm. and, like, what money they can, like, you know, what they can get away with. I thought this movie was so sinister. I thought it was well made. It really caught my attention. It's a movie that I, you know, was thinking about throughout the year and always come back to like, okay, when I'm like starting to like rank movies, like I liked this one. I was like, okay, this has to be in the top five. And I knew it was going to be up there for me. So I was a big fan of Infinity Pool. Um, very strange movie, very out there, but has really, really uh, good performances that are sinister. And it has a plot line that. I'm not saying it's like a Clockwork Orange, but it's like a movie like that where I'm just like, wow, this is really good for like the plot and like what it makes you think about, um, you know. So I, I, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I know you haven't seen it yet. I would say you should go see it. Um, and everyone should go see it if you can stomach <laughs> some of the horror that's in that movie. So, yeah, big fan of Infinity Pool. Yeah, it looked absolutely disgusting. I, I totally will check that out. I think the thing for me is that I haven't seen – Brandon Cronenberg's first two films so I just felt wrong to go see like his third film and it seems like as a director he's just getting better and better like his previous film from 2020 Possessor got pretty good reviews people were saying that he truly is the son of Cronenberg he's kind of taking that mantle and carrying it forward so I'll have to do a a watch of all three of his films now and, and come back and we can talk about Infinity Pool and all of its goopy gross looking goodness (laughs) All right, my third favorite film of the year was The Holdovers from Alexander Payne. Now, this is one of those trailers that played, and it's gorgeous. It looks so 70s. It's like the the film grain they use feels like it's directly from the time period. And it just was one of those trailers that I watched, and I'm like, that looks really good, but there's something to it that just looks so cheesy. You know, it looks like too sentimental. It looks too endearing. It looks too comforting in a way that it just felt a little cheap to me, which is crazy because it looks so visually beautiful from the trailer. And obviously Paul Giamatti is amazing. I've never seen this new actor. And I was really blown away by just how authentic this movie was, how it it truly feels like this school and it feels like lived in and it's snowing and it feels real. Like everything feels so honest and real. Uh, There's the word verisimilitude where everything feels like completely real in this world. It feels like it's truly been earned and authentic. And I think that's a perfect way in word to describe the holdovers. Obviously, you have Paul Giamatti. Everyone's talking about his weird eyeball in this movie and how they can't get over his like odd, mean character. But this is a kind of film that I love. I mean, I think I even look back at like my college senior thesis, which is about like a grumpy old chef 
becoming lightened and, and, and softer because of this young man who comes in and helps him. I think this is that kind of fatherly figure story that I really love in films. And it's a film that I almost like had an arm's length to at first because I'm like, this is overblown. Everybody's talking about how this like melodrama at a boys school is one of the best movies of the year. Like that's ridiculous. Like I was so against it almost that like that can't be the case. Like that's it just seems too easy in a way. But I was blown away by this movie. It's the writing. It really comes down to how well this movie is written by David Hemmingson and how just every character feels so fleshed out and detailed. They feel truly real. And it's one of those movies that ends and it's two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 13 minutes. And you're like, wow, like I could. I could have kept watching that movie just because I like care about these characters. They feel so real. I want to know about their lives. I want to know where the world kind of takes them from this point on. And it's one of those kind of like bittersweet movies where you watch the evolution of these characters and it feels so earned by the end of it. It feels truly like an experience and, and you watch this pivotal moment of these characters' lives. And that's really special. I don't I don't think you get that level of earned feeling from a lot of films. So I had to give The Holdovers uh, the number three spot for my favorite films of the year. And Ben, I want to say, because I know you're like, I wouldn't say you're Mr. Anti-Holidays. You're just, you're not a fan of the holidays that much. What I will say about The Holdovers, it's almost like the perfect film for that. It's like a holiday film that's almost like about hating the holidays. It's about a character who's alone for the holidays. So I think it perfectly kind of encapsulates that feeling of like, oh, this is the time where like we have to get together or our family. We're forced to do these things. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. You know, so I think with that frame of mind, I feel like you would you would love this movie. Yeah, I'm sure I would. Um, I thought that anything against holiday movies. It's just it's weird for me because I didn't grow up with the holidays as like a big emphasis because just the, you know being jewish i think that's such a different perspective that i have on the holiday season but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation moving on to our number two movie of the year um my number two which feels more like a one b type of situation more than like number two is past lives i saw past lives when in theaters um i was really I was like sort of on it in terms of like hearing about people talk about it and give it like a lot of like love. And I was like, okay, well, what's this movie about? Like, is this movie going to as good as people are saying it is? And I was blown away by past lives. It is this, it's really small and intimate. So it's not thinking like grand and big, but the, at its emotions, it feels huge. It feels so big within its narrative that, despite how small it is i mean it takes place in new york so i wonder if like that leads to some of the some of the the depth and the weight to it because it's a small intimate story with the backdrop of this huge like life that's happening um it is it's a tearjerker and it has these emotions about love that is so nuanced and there's so so many great lines within the movie it's a the script is phenomenal celine song directed the movie she I think this is her first movie or, you know, one of her first movies. So yeah, this is her first movie. So like really great debut. Greta Lee in the lead role was phenomenal. And I, you know, she might not get nominated for best actress. I hope she does. She might, I would hope she would honestly win, but 
I think it's kind of up in the air and there's some other people that are advocating campaigning probably a little bit better than her. Um, but yeah, this movie past lives, I think it's going to come back up again within the Oscar cycle and it's going to be one of the, I think this is a movie that could push in terms of like, Oh, is this the movie that no one's talking about? It's going to win best picture, but I don't think that will happen. But to me, like it, it deserves to get all the praise and love and attention. It is, it's, it's beautiful. So yeah, past lives, one of the best movies of the year. Um, John for you, what was your number two of, uh, 2023? Hi, Barbie. So, I've been so excited about this movie for a long time. And, I mean, my favorite color is pink. So, that obviously is helping me uh, get into the Barbie mood all the time. But I was kind of confused about this movie. First, it was like, okay, it's a Barbie movie, whatever. Margot, like, that's a great choice. It's good. Whatever. It wasn't until I saw the first trailer where you have these massive sets, these backdrops that are all hand-painted. You get the feeling of this, like these 50s, 60s musicals in this film just from the trailer alone. And I was so, so beyond sold. And then I'm hearing rumors like, oh, this movie has, it's a lot more social commentary. There's like a lot more going on. Like it's not the straightforward movie that you think it is. And that kind of commentary about the movie before seeing it made me kind of worried. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be like such a preachy movie that it's like obnoxious. And I think for a lot of people, it, it kind of did cross that line and became overly preachy. And maybe there's a scene or two that kind of could have been cut down a little bit. But I had such a blast at Barbie. Like I said, I cried. I laughed. It was one of the funniest movies of the year. It is gorgeous, technically, the way they mess around with these characters being toys and stuck in this fictional world and then ripping them out of this fictional world. I love the Lego movie. I don't think it's been talked about that this movie is so similar to the Lego movie. I mean, coming from Warner Brothers is again as well. It is so similar to Barbie. I don't think people talk about that enough. But, man, Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, all the side characters. Uh, God, it's just so funny the way they, like, build up this world. I love meta filmmaking and meta stories. And I love toys. So, like, this movie just hits on, like, so many elements that I love in life not even just in filmmaking and then you have like Noah Bumbach and the Greta Gerwig combination of such like funny writing writing that you would never expect from a toy commercial so man there's just so much to talk about Barbie I've watched it like twice now since it's come to the streaming platform Max and I just think it holds up honestly I think it's such a fun movie I think we'll be looking back at this at a very special moment in history and a special moment for films with the combination of Barbie and your number one pick Ben am I gonna dive right into this do we have another few hours to talk about well actually we'll have a few (laughs) hours to talk about it when we get to that uh, movie in terms of our worthy series and our number one movie of the year Oppenheimer uh, I've we've talked about this I think a few times uh, on our summer review podcast I, I gave a lot of praise then and it's a movie that as of December 30th of 2023 that everyone is still talking about and pointing to yeah that that's best picture yeah no one's gonna win best director like it is held such a weight within not just the film community but of people outside of it that are just casual viewers and watchers like it is clearly far and ahead the best movie of the year one of the best made films of of recent memory it has a story that had a twist and turn that i just was not expecting it has grandiose like shakespearean thoughts and ideas 
but yet so small and minuscule to you know relationships and and who you are in the world but also the grand idea of ego and how people within powerful positions have the keys to maybe the keys to stuff that we don't want them to have and you know people really behind it so it's such such a well-made film i i can't give it enough praise i'm happy to see the praise that it continues to get um for it i i got to see it twice in the movies on a humongous screen which is the way to see it i will watch it again i'm sure before the oscar ceremony uh in march so big fan of oppenheimer and i was just looking at um you know there are many sites and and ratings you can give movies but one i do like to use the imdb and there's always that classic imdb top 250 movies that uh you know that people go to it's just like a, a good re- like this is a good reference point of like of hollywood movies of narrative filmmaking that all right well if i want to know what's some of the best this is a good list to go to and i want and oppenheimer had an 8.4 imdb rating which is really good so i wanted to see like does it actually rank within just the top 100 of the 250 john it's at number 68 in terms of their top movie wow. so at an 8.4 it's right above inglorious bastards so it's just one spot below aliens other movies that are notable of an 8.4 uh include sunset boulevard wally's on there raiders of the lost ark memento another nolan film uh we have paths of glory avengers of infinity wars is there the shining spider-man into the spider-verse um dark knight rises also has an 8.4 old boy has an 8.4 so it's like this movie sits within a realm of like oh not just like okay we're overhyping this like no like this is genuinely a good great film within hollywood american and world filmmaking um so oppenheimer number one movie of the year excited to see the the campaigning the the victory trail it's about to embark on um we'll get into oscar predictions right after this but um yeah oppenheimer my number one of the year john what's your number one movie of the year that is a great choice it is a movie i i liked a lot but i didn't love in a way and i won't go too much into that because i want to talk about my favorite film of 2023 which is the movie i watched just last night I told Jackie like what my top five were and she was just like that is recency bias you just watched that movie last night like I feel like you always do that and I'm like well I'm always trying to catch up by the end of the year I don't always do that I mean Barbie film from July I think still at number two but man past lies was so beautiful and is that type of filmmaking that of course you can expect from A24. It's this like soft, subtle filmmaking. What I thought was so amazing about the movie is that the script is good. Like it sets up great dialogue. You know, you explain the title and it's just like multi-layered dimensional title, which I love a good title for a movie that kind of combines perfectly with the film itself. It has such deep meaning for what the film is, what these characters are going through. And, as someone who just moved out of New York City this year, this was like the most like romantic view of New York City. And you don't see a lot of New York City. It's not like you're seeing constant sweeping landscape shots. But when you do see the city, you do feel that sense of like everyone's out there. There's constant connections. There's constantly people meeting each other, losing each other, like 
creating these connections all throughout this city and it's because this is such a like central hub for people and i do feel like new york city is just as important of a character in this movie as our main characters are and celine song who directed this film and as you said was her first feature film it's unbelievable the just really when it comes down to the cinematography how much they're able to encapsulate from these random shots the close-up of you know their hands on a subway rail the puddles in the new york city street landscape like these small little moments and details are really stunning and they add up a lot for more than just our characters they're like building this story of connection and love and and the meaning between all of this i was just very like profoundly impacted by this movie and like i said earlier it's not something i was like bawling or crying at at the end it was a movie that i like it's been a day so i'm obviously still thinking about it but i don't think i'm going to forget some of the beautiful imagery that i've seen in this movie it does not feel like a first-time filmmaker it feels so earnest and sweet and and just everything is so like sentimental feeling and and just like every frame really truly feels earned and 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 purposeful in a way. And one of the things about this movie that I love so much is I do think it's a great script, but it feels like great direction elevating a good script to being an amazing film. You know, there's moments in the film where there's so much silence. It's just characters looking at each other. And sometimes it's like, are these characters looking at each other for this long? Or is this like the film's interpretation of being inside their heads? Or are these characters just staring at each other for like four minutes? I started to like think deeper into the language of filmmaking by watching this movie. I I think especially you feel that way when you see like the final moments of the film. There's just so much to talk about. Everything about this movie technically is just incredibly made. And it's a story that I desperately cared for and desperately wanted to see what would happen and what would be the outcome. And I just think this could have been such a film that was just wore its heart on its sleeve in a bad way that was just like so you see where it's going you make the husband like this big enemy this creature that like is like you know holding down his wife and belittling her but he doesn't you know every character is complicated and has their own emotions and they're biting their tongue or maybe they're over saying things it's it's just a very very well-made film and these characters truly feel real and earned and yeah, absolutely recommend Past Lives. I wish I saw it in theaters. I wish I saw it earlier. I didn't because I just didn't think it was that urgent. And I was wrong. It is my favorite movie of 2023. Yeah, that's a movie I would not... And this isn't a knock against you. I just wouldn't have expected you to pick that as your best movie or favorite movie of the year is what I should say. Um, you have an eclectic taste, but I would not have thought that Past Lives would be the one to capture your imagination like so well and I'm, I'm happy it did it is a great movie and um cannot agree more with like any of your points and takes on it i i echo it i love just how insane your list is with starting at thanksgiving <laughs> and going all the way to oppenheimer which i think will make most people's top five or top ten and then you have yeah. like things like bottoms and infinity pool and bo is afraid yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild it's pretty wild i, I, I appreciate i have a weird that. taste I have a weird taste, and I, I, and that's kind of my point with Killers of the Flower Moon is like, yeah, I as a person who's into film, like of course I should put Scorsese movie in my top ten. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go with Thanksgiving, the holiday slasher thriller that uh, I just 
like I it tickled my fancies more than just like oh I appreciate the thought and the thinking behind Kills of Flower Moon like great movie like again like your list is like it's crazy too with like the you know the diversity within it so um and again it's just a weird year of films start like in the middle of it we were like oh yeah films are back there's gonna be all these great movies and then the strike happened and kind of ruined uh i think like any momentum that was gonna be there well this wouldn't be a worthy episode if we didn't mention something about the oscars so we have a couple last categories and then we're going to look on to 2024 but i want to know ben do you have one oscar prediction that you're you're predicting right now you're calling it our nominations, I think, come out on the 23rd of January. So what's your prediction, Ben? So uh, I you know, I could easily do the Oppenheimer wins Best Picture, which I did do um, back in the summer episode. Um, but I'm going to go with a, a defined number. I'm going to say that Oppenheimer will win six Oscars. So it will miss the seven that Everything Everywhere All at Once gave last year or got last year and i just think that it will win at least six and it has the potential to win seven maybe eight i don't know um but i think the six that it does have is best picture director cinematography sound score and film editing and then i do think that killian murphy can win best actor which would get it to that number seven yeah i think that's totally fair prediction i went a little too specific i should have tried to go broader and 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 try to go for something crazier. But I think Lily Gladstone wins Best Actress for Killers of the Flower Moon. The only thing I really kind of throw out there is, should she be considered Best Actress, Ben? Do you think it should be Best Supporting Actress, or do you think she earned that spot for Best Actress? Yes. Lily Gladstone, definitely the lead actress in that movie. Um, it would be hard. I think like you could say she is the supporting actress because she does disappear a little bit, but she's the lead. The story really is about her. And that's something that DiCaprio and Scorsese have said multiple times. That's about like Molly's character. So yeah, I think Lily Gladstone definitely deserves to be best actress. So that is your Oscar hope. My big Oscar hope here is Ryan Gosling winning best supporting actor for Barbie. I just think that would be amazing. Just the the level of ridiculousness that Ken performance of Ken wins best supporting actor. That just is hilarious. Sure, there are plenty of great nominees that will be kind of thrown into that category as well. You know, you got Mark Ruffalo, RDJ, as you mentioned. William Defoe in Poor Things was really, really great. But, man, what I would love to see Ryan Gosling go up there and win his first Academy Award for Ken. That's just ridiculous, and I hope that happens. So, to end our top 10 of 2023, I want to know... Are there certain films that you're looking for in 2024? What are So we're looking at 2024, and it's known to be, people are saying it now, it's the year of sequels. We're getting flooded with just sequel after sequel after sequel. We're talking about Kung Fu Panda 4. There's a new Ghostbusters film. There's Godzilla vs. Kong. You, know? you get a Furiosa prequel. You get a new film for the Planet of the Apes. You get Bad Boys 4, Inside Out 2, Deadpool 3 sequel after sequel after sequel sonic 3 at the end of the year there's a prequel to the lion king venom 3 it's it's ridiculous joker 2 like there's just so many sequels these are the big kind of box office draws uh, for so year. there's but one ben, movie there that i was like looking forward to for like this oscar for? season uh to go see and it got delayed because of the of the strike and that was the bike riders um was really excited to see that movie when i saw the trailer for the bike riders i was 
like, whoa, what is this movie? And I heard a little bit of the hype was seeing that it was getting, I think it was South by Southwest where it had premiered and it was like getting like this love and attention. I was like, oh, this, like, okay, fine. Like, this is a movie that is going to be contending, competing. Austin Butler is going to be there again. Everyone loves him. And it got delayed. And um, so now it comes out in June of next year, which is like the worst, one of the worst times, I think, for Oscar movies to be coming out. Um, just because it's hard to, you know, sustain that momentum. It happened for like Oppenheimer because it was such a big movie, but I don't know if Bike Riders is really going to have that same thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I'm also, you know, love Planet of the Apes. That Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer looked sick. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for more apes action. I'm excited to see where that franchise goes if they try to do another trilogy and see like how they ended if they I've heard people kind of online saying like what if like the third film in this next trilogy is like a Planet of the Apes remake essentially, which honestly sounds ridiculous, but I think that could work well, if these next two movies I think like, they are could as technically good as the first like, trilogy to was. that cuz within oh, the boy. first movie in the I'm universe they do send astronauts to space. It's like a subplot that like these astronauts disappear. So they they are kind of setting that up. I think this could be a thing, but yeah, I'm I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I I really enjoyed the first 3 and and this one just looking at it again like those visuals, man. Like how did the those those visual effects never win an Oscar for the amount of, you know, just motion capture they had to do just incredible yep it's ridiculous that's that's the answer i think there's a couple more here that we haven't thrown out like obviously there's deadpool 3 that's just ridiculous that's going to be like probably the highest grossing movie of next year there's other sequels that i haven't kind of mentioned like beetlejuice 2 how do you make a sequel to that 30 years after the original i don't know is that going to be a train wreck or is that going to be like incredible film that like need to be made i doubt it but let's see something like joker 2 uh fully edu you get like a sequel to the original joker film is that going to be a train wreck i don't know going to be in theaters for that no matter what you know and there's i mentioned that sonic 3 that's so weird that we've gotten to making a third film of these. I'm really excited for the Sonic movies always for Jim Carrey because he just only makes Sonic movies now. So that's your only chance to see Jim Carrey is in a Sonic film. So he hasn't made really any other movies besides that in the past like five years. So this could be Jim Carrey's last performance in Sonic 3. Who knows? We'll find out. But you also have Gladiator 2 on there. The Wicked film. There's part one and two. Part one's coming out next summer. And let's see. I love Godzilla versus Kong and Godzilla <laughs> X Kong. We get to see them fight a bigger gorilla. I'm down for that. Come on. What else? I think the biggest in terms of could be award contender next year. I doubt it because it seems to be leaning towards sci-fi. But Bong Joon Ho's Mickey 17 with Robert Pattinson coming off the Batman. He's coming off his Oscar win from two years ago. And that comes in March 29th. So it's a weird date. It doesn't seem like it's kind of his his normal, like going for like an Oscar best actor or best film. This seems like it's going to be leaning into the science fiction uh, genre of it all. So, I mean, that seems about it. I think we'll get closer and closer to the 
next year's season of the Oscars, maybe we get Nosferatu thrown in there, like almost 100 years, over 100 years after the original Nosferatu. So I think 2024 is, is gearing out to be a great film. Crossing my fingers that there's another global pandemic, a strike, an actor strike, a writer strike. None of this crap happens, and we have a solid 2024. Ben, is there anything you want to leave us on as we end 2023? Uh, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm always encouraged and excited to see what comes next within film. Uh, and I hope that because of the strikes this year, that it just exceeds my expectations next year. Yes. Very well said. Well, to everyone listening, thank you for joining us for worthy. We will be back. Godfather part two is coming and we're going to continue our worthy journey. And we will be there for, of course, the Oscar nominations. And of course, this year's Academy Awards. Thank you all and everyone. My name is John. And I'm Ben. And And this this is is Worthy. Worthy. Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to WorthySubmissions at gmail.com. That's WorthySubmissions at gmail.com.